Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, How's Your Friend Quotient? Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. You know, in the last two years, you spent 600 fewer hours with people outside the household than you did before. We know this because the United States Labor Department's annual American Time Use Survey. Every year for years, the Labor Department has enlisted thousands of people to take a survey and to take one day and record what they do every minute of that day. And in that way, they've been able to compile how Americans use their time year after year. And they found in 2020 and in 2021, on average, you spent one less hour a day with people outside the household, totaling over 600 fewer hours with people outside the household in the last two years. Now, what did we do with that time that we used to spend with others? Mostly, we just browsed online. And how did that impact us? Well, in a book called Veneer, uh, the authors Timothy Willard and Jason Lu uh, Loki tell us what that's done to us. They said, from our couch, we fade into the invisible, people devoid of tangible interaction. Our real actions glossed over with pithier status updates, our pictures self-curated, our wall posts filled with trite comments. Notice this, we've fallen asleep in the land of handshakes and eye contact and walks on the beach and awaken in a world where humans look like products in an online shopping cart, downloadable, browsable, clickable, even deletable. At the end of the day, we can close our relationships as we close our laptops, untouched and unmoved by the lives of others. Now, does that describe you in some way? You know, for years, for decades, we have measured a person's IQ, and more recently, researchers have found the value in researching a person's EQ. An, I, an IQ is, it stands for intelligence quotient. And, and it measures a person's reasoning ability. And as I said, more recently, researchers have found that when you want to measure the likelihood of someone's success in life, it's not just their IQ that you need to evaluate, but also their EQ, their emotional quotient. And uh, uh, so if, if the IQ is measuring somebody's reasoning ability, the EQ, the emotional quotient, is a measurement of somebody's ability to read the room somebody's ability to be emotionally stable, an abil your, your, your ability to bounce back from, from hardships, your resiliency, in other, in other words. Now, it's important for us, of course, to measure these things. But I think in addition to your intelligence quotient and your emotional quotient, we also need to be able to measure our friendship quotient. How are we doing at making friends? How are we doing at keeping the friendships that we make? Social scientists tell us that those with friends are more likely to bounce back from setbacks. Those with friends are, are more likely to recover more quickly from illness and to live longer than those who have chosen to live friendless or isolated lives. Friendship then is not just an accessory, it is an important component of a successful life. So how can we develop friendships? 
You know, it's an old saying, but still a true saying. The best way to have a friend is to make a friend. But we should ask ourselves the question then, how do we make friends? You know, Jesus found this question so important, he answered it for us in today's passage. Take a look at John chapter 15 in your sermon notes or in your Bible. John chapter 15. Now, here at uh, Hillcrest, we've been going through a study of the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, and we found that when we got to chapter 13, Jesus is just a few hours away from being uh, betrayed and arrested and tried and crucified. And so, for five chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, the things that Jesus does and the things that he says all take place just a few hours before his crucifixion. So obviously these are the things that Jesus really wanted his friends to know. And one of the things he really wanted his friends to know was how to be friends to each other. It was as if he was saying in this passage, I have been your friend up to this point. I'm leaving. I'm going to die. I will ascend back to my father after the resurrection. You need to be friends to each other. And so here's what he says. We're, we're going to actually start in verse 12 of John chapter 15. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and so uh, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command, love each other. God bless the reading of his word. Now, you notice at the beginning and at the end of the passage we read, the first sentence and the last sentence, Jesus says, this is my command, love one another. But in between those two commands, or that one command stated twice, in between the first sentence and the last sentence, Jesus doesn't talk about our love for each other, but his love for us. He doesn't talk about our friendship with each other, but his friendship with us. What does that imply? That implies that the best way to find out how to be a friend to somebody else is to look at the way that Jesus is a friend to us. Now, it was many years ago that a man named Gary Enrig wrote a book called Quality Friendship. And he looked at today's passage, John chapter 15, and he identified five qualities of Jesus's friendship that you and I need to mimic in our friendship with each other. And when I read this book years and years ago, I asked myself five questions in relation to these five qualities. And I want to ask those five questions to you today. And if you and I will score ourselves, not, not each other, but ourselves, score each other on how we are doing with this, we will find our friendship quotient, okay? So let's begin with question number one. You can write it down on your sermon notes. What are my limits? The sermon notes are found in your bulletin, or if you're watching online, you can find them online. What are my limits? Now, in today's passage, we learn that the extent of Christ's friendship is sacrifice. What is the extent of my friendship? How far am I willing to go at meeting somebody else's need? Now, maybe you heard about the man who said of his friend, there's nothing in the world that I wouldn't do for Bill, and there's nothing in the world that Bill wouldn't do for me, and that's just the way we live life, doing nothing for each other. <laughs> now, that's not the way that we should approach our relationship with each other. The extent of Christ's friendship 
is sacrifice. Now, take a look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, there's something you can never imitate about Jesus' friendship with us, and then there's something we must imitate. You can never imitate uh, what Jesus did for us in terms of his willingness to sacrifice for our sins. Jesus died as an atonement. He paid the price for our sins. You can't do that for your friend. But here's the point of connection. Here's the parallel. Jesus looked at our greatest need, and he was willing to do whatever it took to meet our greatest need, even to the point of sacrificing himself. Do you look at the people around you and, and, and draw a line at some, at some point as to what you're willing to do for them? If that's the case, then, then, then you found the extent of your friendship with somebody else. But the extent of Christ's friendship was sacrifice. We need to be willing to go the distance, to inconvenience ourselves, to sacrifice our time, our income, to meet the needs of somebody else. Here's a second question. What is my impact? What is my impact? Am I a change agent for godliness in my friend's life? Is he more of a disciple because of me? Is she more responsive to God's voice because I'm in her life? Take a look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, there is a, a way that we can misunderstand this passage about Jesus' relationship to us. We shouldn't do that. Uh, this passage is not saying, Jesus is not saying here, uh, you do what I tell you to do, and maybe I'll decide to become a friend of yours. Uh, Jesus instead said, I am your friend, now do what I command. And, and so we understand then that Jesus' uh, commitment to us is not conditional, but it is transformational. Now again, just like the first question, there's something we cannot imitate in our friendship with others and Jesus' friendship with us. Uh, in Jesus' friendship with us, of course, he can say to us, do what I say. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. Uh, that's very different in terms of our friendship, our relationship with other people. We can't say, we're friends, so do what I say. <laughs> uh, that wouldn't be the greatest way to build friendship, uh, is it? But if we are in relationship to somebody else, uh, we should make an impact, a positive impact on their lives, just as when we are in relationship with Jesus, he makes a positive impact on our lives. You know, back in 2008, researchers took 24 students, 34 students, that is, uh, from the University of Virginia, and they decided to run uh, an experiment. And they didn't tell them the details of this experiment to begin with. They took them to a steep hill. They put a weighted backpack on their back, and they said, you're going to climb this hill. Uh, one of the things, though, that they wanted to do before uh, the persons climbed the hill was they wanted to assess the person's subjective evaluation of the steepness of that hill. But now here's something, here's, they, they threw a wrench in the machinery. Some of the people were standing next to friends when they got ready to climb that hill. Some people were climbing the hill absolutely alone. Now you know where this is going. In the end, when they collected the results, when people wrote down their subjective evaluation of the steepness of that hill, those who were set to climb the hill alone looked at it and evaluated it as far steeper than it really was. Those who had friends around them, especially those who had friends around them with whom they had been friends for many years, they evaluated the steepness of the hill as far lower than it really was. Now here's the point. When we are with other people, does the hill they have to climb not look so steep 
because we're in their lives? Do the, does the obedience that they have to follow, do, do, do the sacrifices they need to make, does the hardship that they need to endure, is it easier to endure because you are in their lives? Do we make an impact on the lives of our friends? Here's a third question. Am I open? Am I open? Do I take the risk of openness or, is this care, or is, do I have this carefully constructed wall around my life uh, into which no one can enter? Look at verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. Now what's important for our purposes today is to note how Christ entrusts to his friends, only to his friends, certain qualities about his life, his identity, who he is, his mission, his calling, the things that were goals for him and so on. There were other people who did not have these things disclosed to them because Jesus knew they would not receive them. But Jesus had friends around him at this point, and he reminded them that one quality of his friendship was, uh, with them was that he revealed himself to them. Now, we need to be able to do that as well. Friendship, by definition, means that you have a context in which to share your dreams and your fears and your joys and your failures. And you are creating a context in which people trust you to be able to share their dreams and their hopes and their failures as well. Here's what George Eliot wrote. Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts or measure words, but to pour them all out just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keeping what is worth keeping, and then with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. Isn't that beautiful? If you've never really taken the step of openness with somebody else, you really haven't taken the step of friendship with another person. Here's a fourth question. Do I make the first move? Do I make the first move? Am I somebody who's willing to reach out to somebody or am I waiting for them to be worthy of my friendship? Am I waiting for them to take the initiative and make the first move? Look at verse 16. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now we'll look at the rest of that verse in just a moment, but just notice this. Who is the initiator in friendship here? Jesus is. And that's the way it is, and that's the way it's always been. Jesus starts things off. You know, sometimes people who are not yet Christians, they call themselves seekers, and that's a good word. It's a biblical word. We seek after our relationship with God. We wonder if God is to be found, so we look for him. We read books to try to maybe understand if there's a God to believe in and so on. Here's the beautiful thing, though. Most people who are seekers, almost everybody, when they get to the end of their seeking and they find God, they find that he's been seeking them all along. That he was the one that initiated the effort to begin with. He is the one that stirred their heart and gave them a longing and a desire to try to reach out for him and find him. J Jesus is letting us know that God is the one that makes the first step in his friendship with us. Now, we need to realize that that's what we need to do as well. If we're going to mimic Christ's friendship and our friendship with each other, we need to be willing to take the first step. Now, this may be the most convicting of these five questions. I know, I know that there are at least a few people in this building or listening online who are going, I hope he's listening to this. 
there's somebody in here who's going, man, I wish she had been here to hear this today. I know that there's somebody who is saying, you know, I hope all these people in this congregation are listening to this and will reach out and become friends with me because I don't have very many people in this church who are friends with me. If you're thinking that way, you miss the point entirely. Jesus took the initiative in reaching out to us. We need to take the initiative in reaching out to other people. I read an article by a Catholic priest who wrote this. Many lonely people fail to realize that friendships have to be cared for and cultivated like plants in a garden. If you think you should be loved just because you are you, you missed your vocation. You should have been God. <laughs> in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, the Apostle Paul said, practice hospitality. What does that mean? That means opening your home. It means opening your life. It means creating space in your calendar for other people. But you notice what Paul did not write in Romans chapter 13, verse 12. He did not say, accept hospitality. He did not say, as soon as somebody reaches out to you, you be ready to respond to them. Well, that's a good thing to do. Be ready. But, you, but he says here, the Apostle Paul says here, practice hospitality. Take the initiative. Now, whenever we are commanded in Scripture to do something, it is for our good. It's not an accessory that simply adorns an already beautiful outfit. Uh, it's not an extra that can enrich your life. It's sustenance for your life. Anything that God commands is sustenance for your life. You think about it, what do we need for physical sustenance? Uh, well, we just need basic food and water. That's it. You send astronauts to space, especially in the past, they had water. Maybe a little tang to add to it, but they had water. That was it. And, and, and what were their meals? Their meals were uh, sort of condensed into a paste that was put into like a toothpaste-type container, and you rolled it, rolled it out and, and sucked on that, on that, on that uh, tube, and that's how you had your food. That provided the calories that were needed. That provided the protein that was needed. But a lot of us would say, well, you know, that's, I need more than that. I need a steak. I need pie. You know, I'm from the South. I need sweet tea. Right? Here's the thing. We all recognize that there's a difference between sustenance and that which enriches our life. So pie, I'm sorry guys, it's not sustenance, but it does enrich our life. Right? <laughs> now, when it comes to the commands of Jesus, do they just simply enrich an already full life or are they sustenance? They are sustenance, right? And so when the Apostle Paul commands us in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, practice hospitality. He is not saying you already have this full and fulfilled life. Now just add this little extra thing to it to make it a little prettier. He is telling us it is sustenance. So we need to pay attention to that. Maybe you've heard of a, a website called PostSecret, postsecret.com. And on this, people can anonymously post their secrets. I don't know how they came up with the name of the website because of that, but some of these things, when you look at it, they're funny. Some of them are absolutely heartbreaking. A few years ago, someone posted this. I bought the coolest phone on the planet, but it still only rings as often as my old phone did. <laughs> now, a college student named Ryan Paulson saw that post, and he decided to respond to it. And he posted in reply, 
I feel the same way. If there's a way we could contact each other, that would be cool. My phone number is, and then he gave his actual number, 605-212-7787. Within just two days, Paulson got 250 calls from people who saw it online. People from the 50 states, but also from Colombia and Scotland and England and Australia. He talked with soldiers stationed overseas. Paulson took as many calls as he could. He was a college student, so he couldn't always answer the calls when they came in when he was in class, but if they left a voicemail, he called them back. There's only one person he hasn't heard from yet. The person who originally posted the desire to have somebody call him. My encouragement to you is to not be that anonymous person, but to be more like Ryan Paulson and take the initiative to reach out to other people. Now, for me, Twitter is a cauldron of hot takes and idiocy. But sometimes there is gold that rises up from the dross. And in February, a pastor named Garrett Kell posted this, and it went viral, at least in Christian circles on Twitter. He wrote, Bill's family joined our church. No one invited them to dinner. What did they do? They began inviting people over for meals. Today, most of our church has at least been invited into their home. They changed our church. Lord, help us to be what we wish others would be for us. That's a good word. Do you make the first move? Here's a fifth question. Do I inspire? Do I inspire? Do I recognize the potential of my friend, the dream of my friend, and help them, encourage them to fulfill it? And that ought to be the goal of our friendship because that's the goal of Christ's friendship with us. Look at verse 16 again. I chose you and appointed you. Now we'll continue the verse. So that you might go and bear fruit. Now it may be that some of us achieve our goals and accomplish our dreams in a silo alone from everybody else. But that's a really, really rare thing if it really happens at all. Most of us, we accomplish what we want out of this life and we keep going when the going gets tough because we have someone or several someones around us that enable us, inspire us, encourage us to keep going. I've shared this quote with you before, but it's one of my favorite. It's from an anonymous cowboy who said, a friend hears the song in my heart and sings it to me when memory fails. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what true friendship is. That's the kinds of friends we need, and that's the kinds of friends other people need us to be for them. You need to identify their potential. You need to know their hopes, their giftedness, and encourage them to fulfill that, to be fruitful in their lives, because that's the way Jesus is with us. Now, I want you to give yourself a score. On each of these five questions, I want you to give yourself a score. Don't look on your neighbor's sheet. You just deal with your own score. Don't give your husband a score. You do your own, let him do his. Now, a, a, a perfect score in school is 100. And so there are five questions here, so we're going to weight each one of these questions by 20. So on a scale of one to 20, one being the weakest, 20 being perfect, Let's look at these. On a scale of 1 to 20, here's the first one. Look at your notes again. How well do you sacrifice for others? Scale of 1 to 20. Just, just put a number down. Your first impression of what that may be for you. Number two, on a scale of 1 to 20, 
How well do you positively impact other people? When you are together with that other person, do you build each other up into greater godliness or do you find that you're dragging each other down into ungodliness? Scale of one to 20. On a scale of one to 20, how open are you with others? And do you create an environment for people to trust you enough to be open with you? How open are you with others? Scale of one to 20. Like I said, here's the most convicting one on a scale of one to 20. How well do you initiate relationships? Or are you waiting around for somebody to make the first move? Scale of one to 20, put a number down, okay? I'm starting to hear groans out there. How about this one? On a scale of one to 20, how well do you inspire others to be their best selves? Scale of one to 20, all right? You should have five numbers by now. Add those five numbers together. Are they 30? Is it 60? Is it 83? That's your friendship quotient. Now, how happy are you with that number? And of these five areas, which area do you need the most development in? I doubt many of us, or any of us, gave ourselves high marks on all five of these things. And that's why when I was going through this uh, lesson plan this past week and preparing it, I just became convinced that we need to do more than just talk about friendship on one single Sunday. And so four weeks from now on Easter Sunday, we are going to begin a series called Friends for Life. Now, those of you who um, have been with me on this Gospel of John series, you heard me say a couple of months back that I intended to finish the Gospel of John series by Easter Sunday. I see now how unrealistic that promise was. We're, we're gonna be lucky to get to John chapter 17 by Easter Sunday. And I thought it might be a little bit strange for us to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and then the very next week talk about the arrest of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ. And, and so God willing in the summer, we're gonna get back to the Gospel of John and we're going to deal with the beautiful, the powerful section of, of John chapters 18, 19, 20, and 21 about the passion and the resurrection of Jesus I'm gonna talk about that, God willing, in the summer. But in the meantime, starting on Easter Sunday, we're gonna deal a little more in depth with some of the things we just started dealing with today. And we're gonna have this series called Friends for Life. Now that comes in four weeks on Easter Sunday, but for today, we're still in the Gospel of John and we're looking at what Jesus says about friendship. And if you didn't like your friendship quotient score, then we need to make some commitments and we need to decide to become the kind of friends for others that we wish people would be for us. I wonder if you've thought about this, but the kind of friendship that I'm talking about today is best achieved in a relationship with Jesus and in a relationship with Jesus's church. And so I wanna invite you to come into our relationship with Jesus and to come into a relationship with his church. I wanna invite you to come into our relationship with Jesus because as we've seen in this passage today, remember I said at the beginning, at the start of the passage I read and at the end of the passage I read, we saw Jesus' commands to us, love one another. But then in between the statement of that command, in between the beginning verse and the last verse of what I read, Jesus isn't talking about your friendship with each other, he's talking about his friendship with you. And so the implication is that the only way that you can really become a true friend to somebody else is to just simply recognize, meditate upon the way Jesus is a friend to us, and then just mimic that in the life 
of somebody else. And so my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is for you to accept Jesus' willingness to be a friend to you. He sacrificed himself for you to take away your sin. He did that on the cross. He took the first step. If, there's any stirring, if there was any stirring that led you to come into this building today or to log on online, it was because the Holy Spirit was reaching out to you even before you thought about reaching out to God. And so respond to that. Come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you need to belong to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is it so important to be active in a particular congregation in order to build relationships? I mean, after all, there are a number of places in the world where people get together. And can't you learn how to be a friend in those settings? Well, to a certain extent, yes. But think about it. In most other places in the world, we get together with people and build relationships with people on our terms. We get together with them because they share the same profession that we do, in other words, the same job. Or we get together with them because they have the same educational background or the same income level or the same politics as we do. But when you come into a church, sometimes, sometimes of course you find people who have various things in common with you, but sometimes when you are sitting down in a life group with somebody in a church, the only thing you have in common with them is that they love Jesus like you do. And what that means is that in the context of a church where you didn't choose your friends, you didn't choose the relationships, Jesus did that job for you. And he put you together with people who might be very, very different from you, a different nationality, a different language, a different political persuasion or whatever. And the only thing you have in common is you're trying to love Jesus. Then that's the way you learn how to be friends with somebody in a sacrificial way, in a substantive way, in a patient way, in an open way, in an initiating way, like the things we've seen today. And so, this is what Robert Putnam found out. Robert Putnam wrote a book that was very famous in the, uh, I guess it was about 20, 25 years ago, called Bowling Alone. He's a Harvard professor, and, and one of the things he noted is over the decades, Americans no longer have these networks of relationships like they used to. They used to do things like, uh, join bowling clubs and now he says that statistically more people are more likely to show up at a bowling lane and just figure out how they can beat their last score instead of beat somebody else's score they're bowling alone and and one of the things though he, he found is that people who have religious religious ties are more likely to build friendships that aren't conditional they're built friendships across uh, across all sort of uh, other lines and and he found in his study all through the years that people who are involved in a a congregation are far more likely, far more likely, to be involved in altruistic activities. That is, activities such as feeding the homeless or going to visit the elderly or, or something like that, something that makes the world a better place. He said that people who are involved in a, in, a, in a congregation are far more likely to be involved in things like that. But he wanted to know why, and so he started digging in deeper. And in 2012, he came out with the results of his study, and he found out it wasn't just that people who happen to be religious also happen to be more altruistic in their choices and their activities. But people who happen to be in a religious community happen to be more altruistic. And he, and he found that the reason was 
because of what I've just been talking about. The people that get together in a church, we get together not because we already find things we have in common with other people. The only thing sometimes we have in common with each other is our love for Jesus, and we have to overcome all the other differences. And he says, that's why you find people who are far more involved in a church much more likely to make a difference in the world. Now, I think that that still holds true, even in our polarized age. I think really when we see the polarization in our world and even between Christians, I think it's more of an outlier than it is really in the, just in the day in, day out, week in and week out relationships that people have in a church. I think that, I hope to believe it's true. And so what we need to do if we really wanna develop in friendship is that those of us who are already believers, we need to look at Jesus's relationship to us and just mimic it in the lives of others. And if we're not yet in a relationship with Jesus or his church, then we need to do it, starting today, hopefully. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, everything you command is for our good. And so if you commanded us to develop friends, well, that's for our good too. Forgive us for thinking it's just nice to be a friend, but not necessary for a successful life. And help us to look to the way that you are a friend to us so that we can imitate those characteristics as we try to be friends to others. I pray people will join with you and will join with your church because of what we've studied today. In your name, Jesus, amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as guest preacher Daniel Englehart shares an important message. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.